Uh, hi, I'm Joey Cranford. I'm the uh, co-owner and CEO of the Chicago Magic Lounge, along with the founder and handyman and uh, pretty much anything else that needs to get done around here. Need a toilet cleaned? I'm your man. <laughs> I fixed the toilet yesterday. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 841, Chicago Magic Lounge. Talk about the magic of theater. The magic at the Chicago Magic Lounge literally begins at the front door with an unmarked entrance that opens up into what looks like a normal laundromat but contains a magic bar, a magic library, and two massive magic cabaret theater spaces. I wish more theaters put as much imagination into how their audiences enter the theater. So I was thrilled to talk to Joey Cranford about how his Chicago Magic Lounge came to be and how its roots are firmly embedded in Chicago theater history. We started in a basement in Uptown. We were just doing it one night a week, which turned into two nights a week for about three years. Um, but this, this venue had a very unique um, a little trait. It had a very deep basement that we performed in. And right when you walked in, you went down what felt like two levels of stairs. Then you would turn the corner and there you'd be in the middle of this kind of hidden area, you know, this, this kind of burlesque theater, um, a little do-it-yourself, do you know, um, but it, it, did, it did kind of lead the customer into what am I about to turn and see? Uh, it, it just built the anticipation. So when we were designing this theater with our architects, we knew we wanted that suspension of, 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 of kind of this mystery, right? We wanted to take this audience on a journey before they even came in. Now, we also look into the roots of magic history in Chicago. Uh, we're not the first to do magic at a bar, magic at a table. In fact, that is the definition of Chicago-style magic and what they did. And there was one venue on the south side of Chicago called Little Bit O Magic. And they had this brick wall with a little lantern that you would pull and the lantern, the brick wall would open and you'd go in. This was in the 80s. Um, so it wasn't probably too sophisticated, but there was thought behind that. And so as we're paying homage to all of these places, um, we decided to use that, that hidden door aspect that was part of the original Magic Lounge days, right? In fact, so the details are so intricate throughout this place. I have little stickers on the laundry machines that call it little bit o laundry, just as a little nut, and that's on the machines. It's really fun, um, and so yeah, we we wanted to we wanted to get people off their guard from the moment they walked in. Um, our job as a magician is to fool you in any kind of way we can, and you know we always wanted to think of a new way to introduce audiences to magic. It was always before you know you go in, you check in with your ticket, you buy your concessions, you sit in the seats, you watch the show, then you leave. And Chicago was always about being more up close and personal than that, making the experience personal. And we said, well, what if we could make the experience personal from the moment you walk in? And, and so we, um, you know, we really designed it with that, with that customer experience in mind, almost like an onion of how far do you want to go? By, by putting two secret entrances in, um, I, I think really builds that um that that uh, that mystique that the customer is going. Where am I going next? What could possibly happen 
when I go through secret doors. It really is. It feels like it feels like an old timey Chicago speakeasy at first because it's behind these. You walk into this room and it's just a laundromat. Yeah. And first of all, that's amazing, too, because I'm literally going, wait, what? <laughs> and then as I and then as you go through the door behind the machines, I'm going, wait, is that a projection? Was what I, I don't even know how they're doing that. But then you find yourself in a bar. And it's like, oh, just I'm just in a bar. But then there's another secret entrance, and then there's a theater behind that. It was yeah. it was exactly what it says on the tin. Very magical. Yeah, and there, there are these fun little details too that take you through that that path. So whenever we when we look at the outside of the building, if you come at night. Uh, the second floor is covered in these matted tiles that kind of make it disappear uh, into the night. So you only really see the limestone outline of the first floor if you're not paying attention. And when you go into that laundromat and you see the exposed ceiling, the very rustic nature of everything with this black and white linoleum tiled floor, it, it, uh, it really throws you into how big of a, a venue am I about to go into. And then whenever you go through that uh, that that secret entrance, the black and white tiles are now cubic uh in in terrazzo uh so so that we kind of made this wizard of oz moment so that the the cubes uh were, were just flat two-dimensional in the laundry you come through it and then boom and then it's all gilded with these golds and colors and beautiful lithos from 120 years ago and this expansive uh roof that just the ceiling just opens wide uh, and people are always amazed. They were like, I had no idea it was this big. And that's just when they're in the bar. And so when they're trying to figure out where to go next and they get into the library when, when we usher them in to, to have them seated, their minds are still blown by just how big this place is. Uh, and, and that was all done intentionally. Well, and, and when we arrived last night, we didn't arrive too terribly early. Uh, and yet you go through that door and not only do you realize what, a, I mean, it's, you go through that door and it's a it's a huge room filled with people. <laughs> it's like you really have stumbled on an entire world uh, back there. Um, and you know what? I I was I kind of was joking when I said talk about the magic of theater, but there is something I love that I didn't I had no idea that close up magic was a Chicago thing necessarily, but it is, no. it's, it's very theatrical. I mean, you're doing you, all these, you have roving magicians before the show begins going from table to table. And so you're getting a sort of a private performance of just the magician and you at your table. It's incredible. Well, what I, what I like to draw uh, parallels to are um, all of the um, the work of breaking fourth walls that Chicago has done through the, through the years. The history of Second City all the way back to the Compass Players when they were really breaking that fourth wall, when they were they, they were doing Brecht before they were doing, you know, social commentary in the style of sketch comedy. But they were experimenting with breaking that fourth wall. But if you look at the history of magic, so we didn't invent close-up magic. We just changed the venue for close-up magic. So Thurston, Keller, all these big names could do close-up magic, but it wasn't part of the big show. It wasn't what you were going to go see. Right. They would typically do it in like hotel lobbies to kind of advertise, hey, I'm doing this show next door. You should come see it. This is kind of what I do. And you go next door and they're doing all these big levitations and stuff. But Chicago put it in a bar and in a restaurant with magicians coming up to your table and breaking that fourth wall. And so we like to look at, at, at you know, the Compass players doing that in, in the 50s. And these magicians were doing that same thing in the early 1900s. 
And so it's not that that you know we, we're claiming we broke the fourth wall first, but it's it's always been the Chicago thing where Chicago is so Midwestern, it's about the people. And, and one of the magicians who started doing close-up magic in the bar, he's kind of the father of restaurant magic. His name was Matt Shulian. And he's known for saying, magic is people. Magic isn't just uh, me going up there and fooling you from stage and saying, wow, wasn't this incredible? It, it lives in your mind. And so in order to get it there, it has to happen in your hands. And, and so that's what, that's what we really focus on with the art of close-up magic here is definitely putting it in the hands of the audience and making this a, a, a truly personal show by breaking that fourth wall and getting you involved uh, in, the, in the whole evening. Hey, it's Peter Sagal, the host of NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Don't worry, you haven't accidentally turned on my show. You are listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? Next month, we'll be performing the complete history of comedy abridged in Indiana and Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Then in April, we'll be performing the complete history of comedy abridged in Western Virginia on, appropriately enough, April Fool's Day. Then at the McCarter Theater in Princeton, New Jersey on April 8th. Then Basalt and Lone Tree, Colorado later that month. Check out the touring page at our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, or our Twitter feed at Reduced for the latest information. Now back to my conversation with Joey Cranford, the founder, co-owner, and CEO of the Chicago Magic Lounge. Was magic always your background? Did you have a theater? I know you got your BFA, but you uh, how did you how did you come to be not only a magician but an entrepreneur of magicians? <laughs> well, I'll take the entrepreneur back to when I was a kid. I had a lawn mowing service, and I always wanted to kind of do my own thing. Uh, but no, theater has always been um, kind of a savior for me. Um, I was all, I've, I've been in theater since I was in high school. Um, I studied in college. I went to college for theater specifically. Um, I ended up transferring to a couple schools, got a BFA, um, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do with that, but it had a direction, uh, it had a director's focus on that. So it wasn't necessarily about performing. It was about creating uh, a vision. Um, And when I I moved to Chicago specifically for Second City, I was an improviser for a long time. Um, I, um, I did that for a living. I lived on the road. Um, I, um, I started doing some TV and film work, um, and, and it was very fulfilling, but once your hobby becomes your day job, you start to look for other hobbies. And so it all kind of began with uh, some juggling I, I got into while I was traveling, um, uh, just tossing clubs back and forth with some people. And, um, I didn't really get too serious with it, but I did find a little magic club that we would hang out and, and throw stuff at each other. Um, and then, uh, uh my wife and I kind of, uh, stumbled upon a magic kit, at a Walgreens. Uh, and we just thought it was funny that there was this uh, this professional magic kit that was telling you, you know, this is a $200 value and we're selling it for $19.95. You can't pass up this deal. It's, you know, there's, there's 250 tricks in here. You're going to be blown away. Now, what's funny is if you put 250 tricks on a box of magic and then put one deck of cards in there that's 149 tricks right there alone <laughs> and the rest of it's just kind of made up with other stuff wow we just thought it was funny that they were uh positioning this uh this wholesale deal act now uh to get this 10 percent discount you know like, or 10 percent margin you know 
So Christmas rolls around and uh, my wife is uh, funnier than me. And she actually got me that magic kit and, um, and uh, for Christmas and uh, I was blown away. I thought it was the funniest thing ever. Um, started kind of tearing up just at the thought of how ridiculous this whole thing was. And so I opened it up and sure enough, there was a, there was a card trick in there that, that blew me away. It was a, a trick deck of cards. Those things don't exist, but this one did. Uh, and um, I started playing with it and I showed some of my friends and they were like, this is amazing. Do another thing. And I said, well, I, I can't, this is all I have. It came with the box. And so I started seeking out a little bit more information on, on real sleight of hand. I really wanted to engage uh, with, um, with a deck of cards and understand how magic is done. How, what is sleight of hand? And we, we hear this, ex, you know, this, this expression all the time, yeah. but can it be studied? Can it be learned? Do you have to be super dexterous? Is this is this something that you can just pick up later in life, you know, and, and keep in mind, this was all in my mid thirties when I was doing this. Mm -hmm. And so I, uh, I started um, uh, getting into uh, meeting people who were doing magic, um, studying uh, with as many people as I could, but in the background, you know, with my theater uh, degree and just my, just wanting to create um, I used to produce improv shows, um, festival shows or local shows. Um, and, and I would just, I would cast them. I would put them up. I'd handle the rent. I'd produce them myself, you know? Um, so when I started realizing that I had met a good community of magicians, um, I took a step back and I looked at it and I said, okay, here I am in the middle of an artistic community with seemingly no home, no, no headquarters, no, no clubhouse. You know, if uh, if you were an improviser in, in the early 2000s, late 90s, you had uh, the Improv Olympic, which is I.O., you you had Second City, you had the Annoyance, you had comedy sports, you had all of these places that were um, a safe haven for you as, as an artist and a, and a place that you could collectively gather with like minds and, and explore the ideas and concepts of the art. But for magicians, it got really difficult because it's it's really only a magic shop. Yeah. And magic shops, they don't have that relationship where you are just a customer, obviously. Um, you're you're buying secrets is what you're buying. So this was a, a very supportive thing. And you you would go by the magic shop and there'd be any five to 10 magicians just hanging out. Um, sadly, a few of them would buy something at the end of the day, but it was about cultivating uh, uh, the community. But what I wanted to see happen was something like the Improv Olympic community, um, you know, mapped over the magic community. I, I wanted to see these performers have a clubhouse, have a place where they could perform to the public and a place where they could share their ideas and, and, a, and a drink. So I started looking into the history of uh, magic in Chicago. I, I learned of this amazing story of how close-up magic um, was reshaped in Chicago, um, how this close-up uh, Chicago-style close-up magic um, uh, was, was created and fostered. And then um, I found that there was an easy show to pitch. Um, it was a, um, a a story about the history of close-up magic. So I would host all of the shows, um, and, and I would host the show saying, uh, you know, this is, um, uh, you know, a lot of people know Chicago for for cer certain things. You know that we invented uh, the hot dog. You know, we made pizza amazing. Uh, you know, we invented the Ferris wheel, AC, DC, electricity, but not a lot of people know we have a history of magic as well. And we would start off with the history of, of what Chicago had done for magic and then present it in a way that you didn't think was kind of possible. Um, and so my, my journey with magic was 
was really about trying to just to find something to pass the time, uh, pass something while away the hours and see if I could learn sleight of hand. Um, but it became more of a movement within myself towards a community to build a, a clubhouse and allow for their art to be seen by the general public. Um, well, I mean, that, that all of that was incredibly borne out just on my one trip to the Magic Lounge last night because you had at least it looked like five or six close-up musicians, musicians, close-up <laughs> magicians working the tables, the cabaret-style seating before the show began. Uh, and the two that t came to our table were amazing. Um, yeah. I mean, and 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 also, not that it needed to be, but the menu was terrific. The bar <laughs> was extensive. Um, it was, it, it, and then the show, the the sort of one hour show that went on by Harrison Lampert was also really fun. I mean, it was just a a, a full evening, uh, as they say, a full evening's worth of entertainment, and it really did feel like it had that community feeling that you're talking about. I knew that I couldn't just open a bar and open a restaurant and have it be, you know, just nachos and, and cheese, uh, you know, something basket of fries, you know, it needed to be elevated. You know, we, we are elevating an art form and we need the whole experience to be elevated as well. So we sought out a, a wonderful uh, mixologist who is our um, cocktail, uh, basically our cocktail designer. He doesn't work for the lounge, but we contract him in to, to build our cocktails um, and same thing for the food. We went out and found these people who have James Beard connections, and we um, we gave them a menu. We gave them a menu from the 1960s from a little place called Julian's where all this started. And so there are some little nods to the history of the taste of magic while you're watching this. And, and you know, there's there's a thing about when all the details just fill in. Uh, it, it's kind of like um, uh, pointillism, you know, all the little dots that we put into place. When you stare back at it, it creates a full vision, uh, a, a, full, a full picture. And and I think that's what, you know, you, you might be experiencing because of the little touches that we've done uh, to make it uh, to make it all just you know, whole <laughs> unified. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, except for one more thing, which I'll share with you in about 60 seconds, so stick around. The Chicago Magic Lounge is open seven nights a week, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. If you're visiting Chicago, or even if you're a local, get down there. It's a unique and wonderful experience. Visit chicagomagiclounge.com for more information. Then send us your close-up magic via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com or throw a comment to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram or on our own actual website, reducedshakespeare.com or visit my website, theshakespeareans.com. You can also follow the Chicago Magic Lounge on Instagram at Chicago Magic Lounge. Thanks, as always, to master of the magically disappearing hairline Matthew Croak, Web services by Ginger Power Limited. Music by John Weber and Garage Band. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Abroad with Monica, which is how she's known on Instagram. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Peter Sagal from National Public Radio's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And as always, thanks very much to you for listening. Please continue to stay safe, get your boosters, and keep your masks on. It ain't over yet. I'm Austin Tishner, 841, 2500, and 23rds. 
of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. That pointillism uh, image is, is exactly right because when you come up with an idea, a, an idea that works, you just keep having other good ideas that fit perfectly, yeah. you know, as clearly you do with the Magic Lounge. What, what's what's funny is you know that that entrance. A lot of people write, I don't know why it's a laundromat, but it's cool, and it's like we could have made that literally anything in the world, but we are participating in a little project of history. And if we're going to pay homage to the history of this art form, the history of magic, the history of this building just serves itself up to just say, you know what, let's just make it a commercial. If you've lived in this neighborhood for 10 plus years, you, you remember this place as a commercial laundry. You would walk past it, you would smell the, the smells coming out of it and uh, all this clean linen smell, you know, uh, and uh, we just we just made it a no brainer to say, well, let's just make it a laundromat and, and really do it. And in, in fact, there's a little detail, there's a little picture of the previous owner's father uh, who had his office in about the same location as the laundry is today. Wow. And so there's a picture of him in there working to give it that like that uh, that unique feeling, you know. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company, reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less.